This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. With pedals like the Snow Day Delay, the Pep Rally Fuzz, the Trash Panda, and my personal favorite, the Science Fair, which is two classic dirt pedals in one with a mid-boosted overdrive on one side, a black lab rat circuit on the other, and a blend knob to blend between them to find the perfect classic stacked dirt sound you're looking for, it's hard not to find something you'll love. Mark builds all of his pedals by hand in Syracuse, New York, where he also works as a full-time educator. In addition to the super fun graphics on their pedals, Mark also offers custom artwork. Want your dog's face on a pedal? He can do it. Want your face on a pedal? He can make that happen too. Go over to summerschoolelectronics.com and make sure to tell them that 40 Watt Podcast sent you. Waters, welcome to this week's episode of the 40 Watt Podcast. This week we're doing things a little different. Um, so this week, uh, well, actually, let me let me take care of housekeeping first. Uh, Patreon supporters, thank you so much for all of your support and all of the things you do to make this show possible. All the conversations we get to have over in the Discord, uh, all the money you provide to make sure that I don't go broke host. I'm not going to go broke hosting this podcast. It's it costs me money, but it's not like poverty stricken money but thank you for all the help you provide to keep this podcast going uh this week you got to listen to a pre-episode which is a new thing never done that before we usually do a post episode uh so you got a pre one this this week and uh hope you enjoyed that let me know what you think get back to me if you'd like to hear all the craziness that scott and i talked about before this episode started you can go over to patreon.com slash 40 watt podcast that is four zero watt podcast and uh for you know five bucks a month you can get this episode ad free as well as bonus content um every week or every week that i record the podcast i try to record it every week but you know life happens so anyway the thing we're doing a little different this week normally i have guests on and we in, i do interviews i find out all about them well i've had scott on before y'all have heard all that before we've, we've talked about that Instead, Scott and I had a, uh, I w- was in Chicago recently. We went to see uh, Ariel Posen, uh, took my wife up there. We hung out and uh, we started bouncing around music stores and it gave me an idea that I wanted to talk about for a while. Um, and Scott, we got to talking about it and uh, we want to talk about what makes a music store good and what makes a great one. So before we get to that, Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Good. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna good. steal it's a. a it, um. I'm gonna Friday steal night, a. So you know we're yeah, we're fr- both in a good spot right now. You know. Yep. Friday night drinking drinking some adult beverages. Um. Yeah. Uh. This is. I don't normally drink when I'm alone at home, so luckily you're around to get me to. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, so we're gonna steal a page from the Effects Loop uh, book first before we get started, which is Scott's podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you should go over and. Listen to the effects loop. Uh, we are Patreon supporters of each other's podcast, which is a fun little deal there. Uh, essentially, it amounts we pay Patreon like 5% of that fee uh, each week just to support each other's podcast. Um, uh, so we're going to start with a what's new with you, Scott. What's new? 
So I do have a secret. What's new that you don't know about? Um, you have a secret. Today. What? I know. What have you got? I, I was sandbagging on you. So um, IK Multimedia sent me a license. I don't know if it's officially out yet or I got an early oh. license of it. Um, I got a license to Tonex, their new capture amp capture software that runs oh, natively on yeah. your desktop. So that was part of the reason why I was doing so much computer work today. I was trying to get my computer up to snuff to do some stuff with it. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing with that. As people who listen to me a lot know, I've jumped into the modeling and capturing world pretty heavily. Yep. Um, to the point that I don't think I've turned my amp on in a year. That's sad, isn't it? It breaks my tube-loving heart. <laughs> I know. I know. Um but uh, yeah, I, I do. The, I still have kept my Kemper. I haven't gotten rid of it yet. I have a Quad Cortex. Yeah. That thing gets used and played out with multiple times a month. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the discount version looks like. Because yeah. uh, at like what a 200 bucks or whatever this thing winds up being, uh, this could be the game changer. That I think so. If it if it puts the amp capture on your computer at an affordable price where you're not paying what's a let's assume you can find one new it's a fine assume you get on the list with sweetwater what's the quad cortex 1800 bucks i think 1800 right now yeah yeah uh, what's the kemper Kemp, at kemper is about the same ballpark yeah so you know and you got to buy into the hardware to get the soft what's essentially a software feature amplitude runs on your phone exactly this is this is where I'm like, oh, I should capture my rig. Mm-hmm. So then I like, so I travel for work periodically, and I don't generally bring a guitar with me because like I don't want to play guitar unplugged or carry it on a plane or whatever. But um, you know, if I could get my rig, how good my rig sounds on my phone like that. Yep. Even if it's just the bass setting, I don't have to have all my pedals and all the fun junk. I can just have a good like edge of breakup tone, and I can practice with it. Um. That and maybe buy one of those like CRE folding guitars. Oh God! Have you seen those things? Yeah, dude, they're awesome. I just have I, you played I, one? No, I haven't. It's just I remember, I remember the guy at Nam, uh, who was just walking around showing people. Hey, see this guitar? Flips it in half. I was like, yeah, it, it might not even be the same company. Is that the same company? That's it's the one that has like a a three or four piece hinged neck. Oh, where the neck will fully fold into itself. Maybe that and, is the same code. And there's a latch that releases tension and adds tension. So mm-hmm. you can actually, you snap the neck back, you pull that lever and you're back in tune. It's actually like that stable. Yeah. I, I'd be interested to try it. I'll try it, but there's just a part of it that like the way it was advertised was just so gimmicky and weird and funky that I was like, I don't know. It's I, uh, I'm, I, I'm I was really people- impressed when I actually played one. I was okay. actually quite impressed by it. I'm a person that can be turned off by marketing. It can happen. Yeah. Um, that goes into it, the guitar store foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. It also, you know, uh, I realize you're probably going to talk about this on your podcast this week, but PRS has put out some pedals this week. Speaking of being negatively influenced by marketing. <sighs> yeah. I don't, I don't know, know if I want to cover that. I don't know if I want to I cover it. I don't, I don't know who they're for. I need to develop an opinion before Sunday. Yeah, you do. You need to develop <laughs> when, an opinion. I we, have uh, a very strong opinion. My um, my uh, the the people in Discord, Patreon supporters, and just general podcast listeners have heard my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, PRS is that brand for me that I just don't, I don't connect with at all. Nothing about PRS connects to me. I played a Silver Sky. It played great. I'd still rather just buy a Strat. Like, uh, yeah, at, at the at the twenty four hundred dollar point, I don't yeah. really like. I don't like the core a model Silver Sky that much. Yeah. Um, having said that, I have a Silver Sky SE and I adore it. Yeah, I've played your SE. It plays great. The neck gets more into the territory where I actually like it. The necks are very different from each other. Yeah. And so that... I will also say that is 100% true. Having played a couple of cores at this point it is a very different neck between the two of them. Yeah, the the core model's vintage feeling, and the SE is a more modern feeling guitar. Yeah. I like the I like the core more, but I also it's a thicker neck too, and I just like thicker neck guitars. So, um, but having said that, <laughs> the rest of PRS, the rest of it, just doesn't appeal to me at, at all. Never has. I've owned even owned a couple, and just interesting. I I don't like the aesthetic. I don't like the birds. I don't know what seagull attacked me one too many times as a kid to give me this trauma. But I don't, I, so I don't have this thing. Actually, it's funny. The least successful aspect of PRS, the amps are the only thing that ever appealed to me. Oh, I, dude, I, want I like the amps. Yeah. I think he, I think they made some pretty cool amps. Um, I, uh, I've been in my watch list in reverb. I've had the Mark Tremonti, uh, 15, the MT 15, I believe it's yeah. called or the MT 20, whatever the wattage on it is. I've been tracking one of those for a while i'm i'm up. that guy i've i've looked around for the mayor a couple of times i played one did you um it's not for me really okay um which so, is interesting because which it's funny because as different as the styles of guitars you and i prefer we yeah. like similar amps so if you don't like it it might not be my thing either well so here the thing is you and i both like closer to an overdrive special Yes. Like that's kind of, I think that's kind of a holy grail for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more of a take the steel string singer and go even stiffer. Ooh. See, that's that's why I like my so, traditional clean because I had a hard time with it. Yeah. My traditional clean is a little cleaner than an ODS, but it's not near that silver string, like 150 watt, like ultra linear clean thing. I don't want yeah, that. It, it felt like playing a solid state amp, to be honest with you. Like, wow. And then okay. there's a weird gain circuit in it that mm-hmm. I don't think he uses. And then the other part is there's no reverb in the amp. Oh, there's oh, never mind. Not interested at all. I didn't notice there was no reverb. There's no reverb on the John on the J Mod 100. Mm. Yeah. It's so not then. well, he John it said he's like I use a you know Strymon or whatever. Yeah. I use a you know a digital reverb anyway. So why? Why and and I get that as a touring guitar player, you don't want a reverb circuit in your amp to when you're touring if you're not using it. That makes sense. One more thing thing that can break. Yeah. Yep. One more thing. Uh, I I'm at this point where it's like I bounce back and forth between like oh pedals, 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 and no pedals. And the one thing I don't want to sacrifice when I decide to go no pedals, I know we're going to talk. We're going to talk about those. That's the other what news. What's I'm new. drowning in pedals right now because right before we'd called, I was trying to clear my shelf off of things I meant to play. You know, it's funny. Um, actually, I'll, I'll finish this. Uh, even when I want to go like no pedals or like a yeah. couple of pedals, I don't want to go without reverb. And so I like the idea of showing up with a drive pedal 
with a battery in it. I know they're bad for the environment, but with a battery in it, plugging in my amp and going, but I need reverb. I need reverb in the amp. So yeah. And I've stopped using spring reverb. I see. I, I, I only like spring reverb in amps, but I don't use it on pedals because it never sounds right. Yeah. On a, um, when you start going modeler, mm-hmm. you start getting, being able to do a post-processing uh, plate amp, uh, plate it's reverb. a different thing. I, I prefer, if it, I'm going to go digital or up. pedal, I want plate. I want yeah. I want a plate or or sometimes the room is really good depending on the pedal, but that's what I want. I, I I use a room for a big sound, and I have like an always on small plate. Gotcha. That's just is that like just warmer mm-hmm. or sweetener. That's what I yeah. do. Yeah, and see for me, I don't even need a lot of reverb on the amp. I just need a little something. Just oh, gives I play, a, I play a, praise and worship music, so I need a lot of reverb. Yeah, I, when I play blues, I don't need a ton of reverb unless I really <laughs> want to go like whole hog into that Albert King thing, and then I just put mm-hmm. the reverb on ten, and then all treble, bright switch on, and no bass, and then you get that stinging. Then you also need to bend two whole steps to get it. But whatever, I, I digress. It's actually <laughs> funny because right now I recently cleaned most of the pedals off of my desk. Um, nice work. Most actually. The majority of the pedals on my desk right now are yours. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go through that first of like how many pedals? So when you were in town uh, yeah. visiting me, I guess that's sort of our main topic. Uh, yeah. You weren't really there for to visit me, but it was it was a perk. That was um, a part of it. That was, that was yeah, definitely you, a part of it coming to hang out. Yeah. So you were in Chicago. And since you drove, I sent you home with some stuff. One, you, yeah. you'd been eyeing a pedal board from me yep. that I had laying around. So that that worked out for both of us. Yeah, didn't have to ship it. Um, and then I decided these are pedals you need to try if you haven't tried them before. So I we were sending you home with a big box, so I just threw a bunch of pedals in that box. Yep. So, so it was what funny. did I give you just so I have a record of where all my <laughs> so stuff is at? <laughs> so um couple of things. Uh actually a bunch of things. You sent me you sent me with six, one of which I've actually bought off of you at this point. So um you and some the, of them, I'm not going to let you buy off of me. Yeah, I know. And a couple. Of, well, you you sent the Paul Cochran Tim uh, V3, mm-hmm. and so I I bought that off you because I I love that pedal. That is one of those pedals that I can have just that pedal, and that does everything for me. <sighs> See, I love that sound. It was, but it it didn't have a sound. That's that's exactly it. I did. <laughs> I don't want it to have a. I just wanted to overdrive my amp. <laughs> I, I Get want a my amp pedal. I've got lots of booze pedals. This is the problem, Scott. We're not here to talk my addiction. We're here to talk about pedals. So you sent me with, um, I'm going to go with the the three that are similar to start with. Um, there's the Kalamazoo by Love Pedal. The yeah, gold you're, one. You're, you're going to need to send that back soon. Oh, that's fine. I, um, I'm having I'm separation anxiety from that one. I'm going to do a video with it soon. <laughs> and then I'll send, actually, I'm going to do videos with these and then I'm going to send them all back to you. Um, you sent the Eternity by Love Pedal. There's going to be a trend of Love Pedal here. That's that's um, a clone of an Eternity. Okay, yes. this is a clone. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a that's a kit from Aeon FX that I built. Gotcha. And then I, you also sent the um, Red Zen Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think they're all the same? I think I they get all where sound... you say the the Zen Drive. I think the Zen Drive is a whole different animal from the other two. I don't think it's that different. Okay, so I, I should put it this way. I don't think a hundred percent they all sound exactly like each other. I think they all sound close enough, 
and they can all do the same ballpark thing that I could not see myself owning all three of these pedals. If that makes sense. I, I Yeah, can... I mean, I the only reason I have the Eternity still is because I built it. Yeah, you built it. And that, so I'm like, what, 30 bucks in parts into that thing? It's not that big a deal. Right. Um, and the other fun part of it is I built like four of them all at once, and I gave them to friends. Nice. So a few of us all have the same overdrive pedal. So it lets us all kind of dial in a similar sound if we wanted it to. Yeah. That was sort of the idea at my old church. Yeah, I know, and I get that. Um, but it, for it's the a most great part. It's a great overdrive. For the at 30 most bucks, part, they are all, um, you know, mid pushing overdrives. Yeah, they're all mid pushing overdrives, and they all sort of get into the same gain territory. So mm. they are, they're all just really, really similar to me. And the thing is, they're also really, really similar to a bunch of pedals I already have too. You know. So, um, they're, they're not a million miles away from a Klon style circuit either, even though it gets there a totally oh, no. different way. Um, famously, the reason I have a Kalamazoo is because, uh, pro guitar shop back in the old days of Andy did a video literally comparing a Klon and the Kalamazoo yeah. and saying it, can you tell which one is which? Cause you're able to dial in that Klon sound. Yeah, so that's not a million miles off of that. Um, although I will tell you that Love Pedal had their sale recently, and I have one of the through-hole Zen drives on its way to me at some point or another. I'm glad um, I sent you that link. Yeah, exactly. So there are those three. In fact, I'm going to do a pedal, so like right uh, a video. Right now on my bench, I've got, I bought the JHS. The what's new for me really this week is I bought the JHS Switchback so that I can set up a test bed to switch back and forth between some pedals and try them out. Uh, actually do real legitimate shootouts in a one-to-one sort of situation, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do that with some of these drives. Right now I've got my tape delay and I've got the uh, Gecko Plex by Gecko pedals on the Ooh. on the bench right now. Uh, so that's been fun to shoot out back and forth between the tape echo. I'm not going to spoil those results yet, but it's interesting. Um couple other pedals you sent me with um, is the Binford 6100 by the most Pelican most wonderfully Noiseworks. unusable pedal it's, that it's, exists. It's completely unusable for me whatsoever. It's like <laughs> the one usable setting I found. I was like, oh, it's a fuzz pedal. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a reverb with fuzz on the trail, but you yes. can dial out the reverb. <laughs> yeah, dial out the reverb. Oh, look, it's one setting I can use as, as a fuzz pedal. It is... It is amazingly I, unusable. I, I used to be able to get that pedal to self-oscillate in so many different ways. It was amazing. I, I messed with it for a good two hours. I broke out the manual trying to figure it out. And the other one, the one I'm going to end up buying one of, um, and I may have to buy it before this episode goes live because there is one on Reverb right now. It's the number one from this Silver Series. One Serial number one. Um. It's the Silver Pelotar, um, which I love the fact that it's a pedal that looks like a clon that's a fuzz. It's actually two fuzzes that blend together into each other. So, yeah, it's a, that is a wonderfully cool pedal. Um, so. And especially once you uh, you can open it up and mm-hmm. there's two trim pots. The gain trim pots are internal. Oh, gotcha. So you that's can back right. them that's off. Right. I, I, ha- I think I have them maxed out because that's yeah. where that's where fuzz pedals. That's where be. fuzz should be. That's where fuzz lives. 
That's just the way it works. It's actually why um where's where is it? The uh the Boss TB2W doesn't mm-hmm. have a gain switch on it. It's just it's just there. It has an attack and a volume. <laughs> it's just here's 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 gain. It's just all the way up. Yeah, and then there's uh it doesn't do a it's got fixed biases, not um a variable one. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so you just have level and attack on the thing. That's it. Oh. Which is, you know, the original tone bender was a two knob tone bender anyway. So and I don't yeah. think one of those was gain either. I think it was also labeled attack. So Yeah. But anyway, speaking of things for sale. <laughs> yeah, that's slide in my DMs, I'll make a deal. Yeah, there you go. Um but yeah, so that's where I am. I put a bunch of pedals back on the shelf and I'm gonna do some more shootouts. Um you know, I keep talking about getting rid of some pedals, and then I don't do it, and then I do, and then I don't. And I've still got a, a I've still got a Maris Enzo that I <laughs> have listed for sale, but it's still yeah. sitting here. I I realize I have a UA Dream sixty five, a Big Sky, a TB two W, another out of production tone bender. I'm just like, man, if I could just move all these, that covers pretty much a really impulsive decision I made about five, six weeks ago. So you mean while I was in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, neither here nor there. So while we were in Chicago, while I was in Chicago, you're always in Chicago. Um, we decided to do some guitar store hopping. And of course we did the, um, the prerequisite. You got to go over to Chicago music exchange um, where you made a, an impulsive acoustic guitar purchase on Grandpa's guitars? I, uh, I did. However, I'm very content with that decision. Yes. No, it's it's a great looking guitar. It was a great sounding guitar. Of course, you've had the action set up and electronics put in it since I played it. So It's better. Uh, Ian, of course, made uh, a Don Grosh purchase that I've seen he's playing live now. So I'm glad he's enjoying that. I'm assuming he's still really enjoying that guitar. I told him, I was like, I picked that guitar up and I was like, yep, Ian, you want this. Yep. You, you don't know what this is yet, but you want this. That, well, that's the thing. He's, he and I had been talking about, you know, he wanted a Novo and all of the things he had specced for a Novo, that's what that guitar was. And, and we were trying to tell, like, everyone was telling him like, hey dude, uh, you don't really want a Novo. You just want the brand name of a Novo from what you're describing what you want. Yep. Why are you paying five grand or four grand to get all that, that you're asking for when you don't have to? 31. His his spec would have been 31. Oh, yeah, because he, was, he wasn't doing a Saris. He was doing a... No, well, the Saris J starts at 31. Yeah, but he was going to do a Solus. Solus is even cheaper. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the Saris, the Saris J starts at 31. You can add a bunch of options. Like uh, mine, I have almost every upgrade they offer except the upgraded pickups. I didn't upgrade the pickups. And mine came out at 39, 38.99. The problem is the secondhand sellers jack all the prices up because the, there's an 18 month wait now. It was eight months and when I ordered if, mine. That's if you can get on it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, 18 months for that end, high end of a guitar is not really that rough a decision. No. And and that's the thing with Novo that's different than a lot of the other high end builders. You can you can email them and order a custom anytime. You don't have to wait for the list to open up. You don't have to wait for them to take orders. You can get on that list at any time. You. Go to their website, you spec it out, it sends them an email, they co- communicate back with you, and then you get the, you put your deposit down and you get the process started. Um, the Selects, which is their, like, 
they're still the same guitars. There's no difference in the quality. What it is is their select series is their most common colors, features, whatever. So you can, when they open up select orders, you can order a select. If that happens to be what you wanted, one of the super common things that they do, they'll do a whole run of selects and those take two to three months instead of 18 months. And they do them in batches so Mm -hmm. they can save there because, you know, when everything's the same color, it's a lot easier to do. It's a lot faster. It's a whole lot faster when everything, when they're just doing 15 guitars in the same color, you Mm -hmm. know, it makes sense. But so I'm, I'm not ready to jump on the Novo train yet. I, lo- I love mine. I adore it. Um, no shame not... on anybody who's got one. I think they're cool looking. I just just can't. I don't know. There's just I'm not ready. One, to order I don't feel a... a need to replace my Jazzmaster, which is kind of the ballpark it's in. Yeah, but yeah, I don't feel like mine sounds anything like a Jazzmaster. But between with no, the I mean, it's with the vibrato it's and the thing. shape, but I totally get it. When I when I had a Jazzmaster, I held them next to each other once, and mm-hmm. yeah, there's. One could be the other's shadow. They're mm. they're not identical. They're not exactly the same, but you could definitely see one being the shadow of the other. So we went to Chicago Music Exchange. I did not did. buy anything for listeners. I did not buy anything. <laughs> um, How hard was it? Man, there were a couple of things. That super cool flip top Ampeg guitar amp. I've never seen a flip top guitar amp in person. I'd seen lots and lots and lots of flip top bass amps, but I'd mm-hmm. never seen the flip top guitar amp. Well, that especially one... since Josh Homie has ruined the amp market for guitar players. Yes. I had never seen one, and I, I really thought about it. I really, really did. But ultimately, we walked away without me buying it, uh, which is good. I did not need to buy it, um, especially because I had my Grez coming just a few weeks later after that. So, and I needed to pay off that. But so Chicago Music Exchange, let's talk about that as a music store. Scott, is that a good music store to you? Uh, It's a fantastic music store Mm -hmm. if you're a high-end buyer. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, If you're a teen looking to buy their first guitar, I'd go to Guitar Center. Yeah, that's the thing. Anybody looking to buy your first guitar, go to Guitar Center. That's what they're there for. Don't go to CME. Don't go to to any of the other... Don't get me wrong. CME has some squires on the wall. Yeah. And they sell tons of squires through their website. They have them there. But you're going to walk in and you're going to realize you're buying the cheapest thing off the wall and you're buying the imposter. And I don't know if you'll feel good about yourself there. Yeah. I just... and Like that loses some of the excitement of like when I bought my first guitar, I was on cloud nine, man. Like... Yeah. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported in part by String Joy Strings. I'm a snob, at least that's what people tell me. I'm never okay with good enough, and that's where String Joy Strings come in. They're better than good enough. They're the best. Stranger are making some of the finest strings available today right up the road from me in Nashville, Tennessee. They offer custom sets, balanced tension, coded strings, the works. If you need it, they can probably make it happen. You should be using Stringjoy Strings, and if you're going to order from them, you really could help this podcast out by clicking the affiliate link down in the description or show notes below. You get amazing strings, I get a little bit of that back to help the show keep going. It's a win-win situation. Get your Stringjoy Strings today. Yeah. Well, I think, and CME, you know, they know what they're doing as far as, like, the market they're selling to. 
they get it. You you walk in, there's a bunch. There is a ton of high end, a lot of second hand. Had several Novos when we were there. I had two or three Novos. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know there was a and mule some cowers, on the wall. Yeah. yeah, some cowers. That a, a built that was really cool. Had a sustainer pickup in it. That was super rad. Um, so yeah, they, they had know a Don they, Grosh holding hanging on the wall. Yeah, just had a Don Grosh that did well. It wasn't they hanging on the Don- wall by the time I got there. <laughs> by the time I got there, Ian yeah, had uh, because I picked it up and then handed it to Ian and said, "No, don't ever put this down." <laughs> yeah, uh, so was- and then until we made friends with one of the staffers who then hit a few guitars for us. But yeah. um, so CME is great for a few things. It, it's mostly the high end, prestige, in great shape. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff that comes out of that store is ready to be played right off the shelf. Um, my acoustic was not, but that's a separate story because well, my, your my acoustic, acoustic came out of the box. <laughs> I, I went home with the box. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that side of it. Um, so and it's they, not for everybody. No. That's, and they do a lot of thing. vintage stuff. They do a lot of vintage stuff. Like high end, like that Les Paul wall is impressive. Um, yeah, and I think their customer service is great. What I I think they are an incredibly good music store. For me, they're not a great music store. They're a very very good music store. So after that, we went to. We only really had time to stop at two places. Um, uh, we went to Rock and Roll Vintage in Chicago. And Rock and Roll Vintage is my new favorite music store in the U.S., period. End of story. It has passed Carter Vintage for me. It has passed Fanny's in Nashville for me. It has. It is my new favorite music store. We walked in, and it was one of those things where, like, you walk into a situation, and there is so much to look at and so, so much to see. Yeah, that... You walk right past things because you're too busy looking at everything else that you've got to make multiple passes to see things like we walk in and like some of the raddest stuff I've ever seen is in the doorway, just hanging out. There was a profit four feet from the door. You know what I mean? I don't think yeah. I've ever seen a profit in person. Yeah. I mean, so they're, they're such polar opposites. Those yes. two stores. Because there's a few things. One thing I, I'll point out is Chicago Music Exchange was all a lot of new stuff. Yep. A big focus on boutique and high end and all in great condition. Yep. And the thing, other thing to note is just the pure aesthetic of the store. There's nothing yes. on the floors except furniture and some amps here and there. Everything's hung up on the walls very neatly. You walk into Rock and Roll Vintage and it looks like somebody's... Basement. It looks like a hoarder's basement. Yeah, it looks yeah. like a music gear hoarder. But then, yeah. like, you walk in. One of my favorite things, like, it actually took a lot of my time when we first walked in. They've got just a table in the center of the store that's just got, like, random pedals. and like, Loose. Loose? Yeah, just on a table. <laughs> project pedals that somebody built. And, oh, here's this. Oh, here's this utility pedal. Oh, here's this EHX LPB1, that the kind that just plugs into your guitar. And not the pedal on the floor. I was like, this is the most random, glorious, wonderful assortment of junk I've ever seen. And it's not junk. It's awesome. Yeah. I'll I'll point out something real early on is the fact that we brought Kelly with us for both of those. Yeah, we did. CME. Kelly got to go over to Starbucks a few (laughs) doors down. 
sit on a bench outside and just enjoy some air and then come in the store and just kind of sit on one of the nice couches they have there. That was and it. it's quiet. It's not quiet, quiet, but it's like just background music. And right. you don't have to hear a dude trying to learn how to play Enter Sandman <laughs> yes. at full volume. Um, so the, in, in a lot of ways, I like going to Chicago's Music Exchange because it's not a guitar store the way it's a, it's a high end store. It's not yeah. um, it's not guitar center. And it, it, you don't have that just exhausted feeling when you're done there. Yeah. You'll have a that. broke feeling when you're done done there, but you won't have an exhausted feeling when you're done there. Yeah. So it's very clean and it's a place to just kind of be. Um, actually, one of the things I like about it is it forces everyone just to pick up a guitar and feel it first. You're not like looking for an amp to plug in right away. You're actually waiting yeah. for an amp room or something like that. Um, I do. Because all the amps are in, are in private rooms and it kind of keeps the floor really nice and clean and, and quiet. They have a few ever since uh, the Waza Amp Expander and the Oxbox and a few of those came out. They now have headphone stations at a few different spots, too, which actually helped kind of alleviate the line for amp rooms. But you just pick up a guitar and you just start playing it loose. yeah. And you get a feel it. for the guitar early before you actually get a sound for the guitar. And I think for me, that helps the shopping experience a lot quicker. Because you just kind of, oh, I don't like the sound and blah, blah, blah. Generally, it's it's feel, feel, feel. You know you like the guitar before you plug it in. Because let's be honest, most music stores that don't have the amp rooms, are you turning that amp loud enough to even really hear what the guitar sounds like? Probably On not. Boss Katana in the middle of the floor, listen to the next guy, you know. Or my and favorite, also like the, the little orange crush underneath the little orange crush that'll be underneath the pedal testing station at guitar yep. centers that you flip on. I'm like, I don't know what this thing sounds like. Not through this. Yeah. And so. then you can go in the high end room, but then only one person can play at a time. And right, um, yeah. So there's that experience. Then there's if you're someone who is anxious around messes, rock and roll vintage <laughs> is, or if you get claustrophobic, or if yeah. you get like, there's so many things that were like precariously leaning against something else there. Yes. That I was like, I'm going to break it. something. So there was there was a tension for me at Rock and Roll Vintage yeah. the entire time I was there. See, that's funny that, because there was a comfort for me. I find a comfort in that chaos. Like interesting. L- like we were walking through. We're we're not even going to talk about the Colossus for a second. We're going to come back to the Colossus, <laughs> the cleanest, most pristine piece of equipment in the entire store. We'll come back. It also may have been the only new piece of equipment in the whole store. Yeah. Everything else was used. And that's the thing I love about Pretty it. Much. It's chaos. They had six Hammonds. Like, I think they were all B3s or C3s. Didn't they have a Neve desk in there, too? I don't think it was a Neve, but they did have... Or it was an SSL. It was an it SSL. It may have been an SSL. Yeah. yeah. They had a SSL console. They had, like, Tape nine machines. Leslie's. They had three B15 flip tops. They had two JCM 800 full stacks. They had a high watt full stack. They had just the raddest, coolest assortment. And this is before you get multiple bandmasters. Yep. Oh my gosh, the Fender stuff. They had a they had a bandmaster head inside of a super reverb cabinet, and I was like, oh my god, I want to take this home so bad. <laughs> um, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. But here, here, here's the thing that held me back there the entire time though was because uh-huh. everything was used there. Uh-huh. Everything felt like it was kind of broken. 
yeah, you get, uh, there's a lot of things that felt like this is somebody's project. <laughs> yes. It, it felt like I was shopping in a junkyard in a lot of ways or like, yeah, this is 90% of the way there, but you're going to have to fix something. Yeah. Sorry, but listeners for that really loud sound there. I hit the keys of my synth over to the left talking with my hands. Um, so yeah, no, and that was the thing. There's like a ton of, there's a ton of stuff. There's just some. There's a the orange, uh, the orange Tolexed Marshall half stack. Did, did you even look at guitars while we were there? I, I never even at looked few. at any. I barely looked at the guitars. Yeah, I looked at a few. Remember we we looked at the one wall where they had two aluminum neck bases. Uh, oh, they yeah. had the the semi hollow Lakeland bass that looked really rad. Um, they had a bunch of if if you are looking for quirky vintage electric guitars, they got you covered. Yeah. Well, um, when you think about it, Lakeland is just down the street from there. That's true. That that totally tracks. I didn't. I forgot they were in Chicago till right now. Um, I uh, I, de- I designed a music studio right next door to it. Oh, nice. Same building. Oh. So. The uh, the other thing when you're walking around in there, it's just that it's easy to miss things. That's this is before we even get to their vintage synth room and their 500 rack room and their um listening rooms in the back and then like just the bucket of pickups that that <laughs> it, just, it was literally a bucket of pickups it was literally a bucket of pickups <laughs> you could sort through and fish through and then so we're walking around then i realized they've got two milk crates full of vintage analog tape like magnetic tape Mm-hmm. in cases and i'm like well i know where to go to get more tape for my tape delay now i've got i've got a big reel of memorex uh tape for respooling my cartridges already but that's not gonna last forever um so remember they had like multiple hm2s but they were all in different locations like yeah pedal there, there's no order or lot like <laughs> nothing my type a personality is just like going insane and my type b chaotic personality was digging it yeah that i mean yeah type a and type b those are the two stores yeah that's absolutely like like the way cme does their pedals right where it's just a big old glass display case yep and it's really nice and organized it's by brand and all this kind of stuff and you can just kind of look at all of it and gloss over it you know, you and I were literally go. It, it felt like we were going through like the five dollar DVDs at Target. Yes. Going, oh, dude, have you seen this? this oh wait, is, this... and the best part, this gets so much better. You're over there talking to this the 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 guy at the counter who I think is the owner or manager. I don't know, but mm-hmm. he's like, oh yeah, check out these, and he pulls out a milk crate of Love Tone pedals. Just the complete line, the complete set in a milk crate. <laughs> so yeah, like... I just got this in, and that, and then he goes, hey, you want to see something real cool? And then comes back with a pedal train Terra full of all the original Mutron stuff. <laughs> it was so cool. Oh, I loved it. I was I was digging every minute of this it's experience. Stuff you'd never see at any guitar store. Well, I mean, I don't not know. ever, but ever, but like it. It's it's a mix of what if Carter's and Fanny's were the, together. Yes, that's I got that vibe. So the beauty of it for me. Here's the thing. CME is the kind of music store that I would go to every now and again, knowing what I was looking for. Right? Mm-hmm. I would go to CME if I know what I'm looking for. 
you go to CME if you want to buy a Les Paul and you want to play eight different or ten different types of ones and figure out what you want. There you go. If you want to go buy, if you don't know if you want a CE24 or a Custom24 or um, a DRG or DGT or whatever PRS model you want, or right. you don't know if you want the Epiphone or the Gibson 335, or if you'd rather go get that weird Revolta one that's out there, or... But it's all new stuff. I mean, that that's the market, and it's different. There is a good vintage stuff, and it's the must-have vintage stuff. Yes. It's not just the everything we could find and put on the wall. Whereas, yeah. um, whereas with Rock and Roll Vintage, that's the kind of store I would go into a couple of times a week because I never know what's going to be in there. Just you never know what they're going to come across. And I go there because, like, okay, the... I've never bought a guitar at Carter Vintage, right? I bought a I bought a pedal, I bought some t-shirts and picks and some used stuff and nothing like big, no amps, no guitars. The one time I did go looking for a guitar, I ended up being helped by Walter Carter. I didn't know that's who it was at the time. Um this is the reason I love Carter Vintage in, in Nashville and why I think it is a great music store. But I I was talking to him as he said, "What are you looking for?" I said, you know, it's one of those where he walked up to me on the floor, like, how can I help you kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I've got like X number of dollars. Um, in you know, because I try to have a little money in the gear fund. That isn't so true right now, but usually have a, a little bit of money in the gear fund for something if it catches my interest. Right. And so I had X number of dollars. I think I had like twelve hundred dollars in my gear account. I have a separate I have a separate checking account for my gear fund. So I was like. That way I know how much money is in my gear expense account. Um, this is this goes back to our discussion, our online discussion earlier this week about how or it was me and Jason Fuzzmonger bemoaning how much we miss reverb bucks. Yes. Because we kept, just used them as checking separate? accounts. Yeah. Yeah. So I have an actual checking account that's just for my gear. Um, and so I had about 1200 And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm told him, here's how much money I have. I'm looking for something like off the beaten path, something weird, something not, you know, not a Strat, not a Telecaster, not, you know, a, a Gibson. Well, 1200 is not really Gibson money, but, uh, you know, Epiphone or anything, the traditional route. I want something weird. And he mm-hmm. proceeds to walk me through the store. And this is the cool thing about Carter's in general. And he just like starts grabbing things like, hey, I know this isn't in your price range, but you've got to try this out. Like this crazy archtop guitar and like just starts handing me stuff. And he handed me a few things that were in my price range, but nothing that really made me want to buy it. Right. But that's the kind of moment that whole I've got a little money. I want something weird. I'd go to Rock and Roll Vintage and I'd look around and see what they've got. I would not go to CME to look for something weird or different. Uh, so there's a small pocket of CME that is that. Yeah. You just get clobbered with, here's the wall of fenders. Here's the wall of Les Pauls. Yeah. Um, cause they really maximize that. Whereas like you go to guitar center, there's three Les Pauls. Right. And all of them are locked up on the top row. Whereas some salesperson who's already helping four other people cause they're overworked. Y'all give the salespeople at guitar center a little bit of slack. They're overworked selling squires and epiphones and you know drumsticks to somebody who wants to come try every drum set maybe this is just my local guitar center but they are overworked they're they're genuinely want to help you but anyway you got to go grab that person pull them away get the rack where you can (laughs) climb up get the three less balls 
and they're beat up thing. and knackered by the because they've been on the floor for so long. Yep. Because no one buys like, a Les Paul off the wall at Guitar Center. And that's when they're like, "Oh, we don't have another one in the box." Well, mm-hmm. now I'll say this: um, when I bought my Martin from CME, right? Uh, the employee that was helping me uh, helped all of us. Really nice guy. He did. Um, he accidentally left his his version of the invoice in the case after the service work came back. Oh, really? So I saw I saw their wholesale price. I saw I saw their breakdown of the values and stuff like that. Really? So I know how much his commission was on selling me that guitar. Okay. Now, when you sell three thousand, four thousand dollar guitars, your commissions are pretty nice. Yeah. Especially if they're new guitars with wholesale all that stuff in it. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is when those guys are able to sell almost exclusively two thousand to five thousand dollar guitars, they can afford to have more staff on the floor because the commissions are pretty nice. That's exactly because they it. move a lot of volume of that. At the same time, the overworked guitar center employee has to move how many Squire affinities, right, to get commissions that are are worth their time. Yeah, it's and almost also, impossible. Imagine, you know, how much more demanding the Squire Affinity and customers probably are insecure and not knowing what they're doing and asking a million questions and, you know. Yeah, the person buying their first guitar is going to have a lot more questions than the average person buying a $3,000 guitar. Yeah, and let's just say it's a 50%, and obviously the store gets a chunk of that, and then you yeah. get a chunk of that. So maybe you get 10 to 20% of that new value of that guitar. So you're selling a $200 guitar, you get 20%. You're getting 40 bucks. Right. Uh, it's a first-time guitar buyer. Chances are you're teaching them how to tune a guitar while you're handing it to them. <laughs> And this does not count lesson. all of the return visit over how to string it, how to tune it. How, that doesn't count all of that extra mm-hmm. time that's going to end up taking uh, the, to deal with that. And and that yeah. makes sense. It tracks. It's it's a hard, it's not a fun job, y'all. I know we like to pick at Guitar Center employees, but uh, for example, my Jackson, Mississippi Guitar Center, that's the local Guitar Center for me. It's that or Birmingham, but I go to the Jackson one more often because I'm in Jackson more mm-hmm. often. Um that store is always busy. They are always selling. The four employees they've got running that store are working super hard all the time. They, for some reason, Guitar Center hasn't decided to remodel it like they've remodeled some of their others. So they've got like, you know, you go to the checkout and the stand that holds the thing that displays the price when you check out, you know, the, just the display of the number. It's like mm-hmm. leaning over because it's bent and it's has been there since oh, they opened the store. And their point of sale system sucks. Oh, it's terrible. I have heard nothing but terrible things about it. And it's, it's like slow. if they would just do a little bit of remodel and some interior work, that guitar center in Jackson, Mississippi could be great because their staff work really, really, really hard. I've had nothing, nothing but positive experiences in that store. And and it kind of drives me crazy. It's and this is funny that I'm sitting here complaining about this while raving about rock and roll vintage. And you know, but it's because you walk into rock and roll vintage knowing what it is, or at least you should. I hope you do. Yeah, I, I, you don't you don't walk in there buying your first guitar either. No, you don't. You go in there because you're like, I want to find this oddball thing from the '70s that. I haven't seen in 20 years. I'm hoping you might possibly have it. Oh, look, there's a Terra case full of Mutron pedals. That's what I was looking for. 
You well, know? and then and then you walk away talking about, oh, I saw this and I saw this and I saw this. And then you go to your podcast and you talk about it. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's that side of that experience. I, I mean, to be honest, I haven't gone back to either store since. Yeah. You need you need to go back to rock and roll. The next time I'm every trip in Chicago will involve it will I will schedule a trip over to Rock and Roll Vintage, which yeah. especially because they don't have an online selection. They have no online presence whatsoever. It's a store that seems to like not want to be successful. <laughs> right. I'm like, how it is makes this no sense? It it makes no sense, except that while we were in there, they talked about Josh Scott being in there two days previously or a day previously, because Josh was in town for the fretboard summit. Mm -hmm. And so where did he go? Sure. He stopped by CME, but that's not where he went to find things to buy. Yeah. He goes to rock and roll vintage. I mean, it's, it's a fun thing to remember. I mean, you don't really think of Chicago as a music town, but just by population, the amount of musicians that come through the city, plus the amount of musicians that live in the city. And there is a scene here. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest with you, the musician, their rock and roll vintage is up in Avondale, which is a yeah. more affordable neighborhood than Lincoln Park, where right. Chicago is. Music Exchange is located. People like me live in Chicago music, er, live near Chicago Music Exchange, so yeah. they have a clientele of you know executives who you know six plus six figures plus life. They can buy those PRSs and those high end Gibsons. Right. Those are the people who live there. Um, Rock and roll vintage is more like a working musician store where you're going to find something weird, kind of broken. Until There's a lot of cheap stuff about, on that wall, too. Until you talk about the Colossus. So now we're going to talk about the Colossus. The one yeah. and only thing that rock and roll vintage sells brand new. Um, it's not it, the only so thing that's new. It there was, was, I, there's stuff that was in boxes and stuff there. So but. the Colossus is a synth. Uh, made by Analog Solutions. It is a massive, just colossal unit. It sits, it's pristine a- white. Aptly named. Yeah, it is pristine white and beautiful with knobs that look like you're about to, we joke about pedal boards being, you know, just space stations or, you know, s- control stations. No, this absolutely looks like NASA used this in the 60s. It, I mean, it's straight out of a sci-fi. Like, this would have been on the desk uh, for a sci-fi prop. Right, 100%. And Where, it is, like, was it Star Wars they use the video switchers to yeah. run the Death Star? Yep. Or, <laughs> or in Aliens, where they're using the Eventide <laughs> to contact the aliens? Uh, contact. That's was that contact. contact? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just brought an audio rack in. <laughs> uh, Whereas, yeah. So, this Colossus is $50,000. <laughs> it was... I was like, what the hell? It's, it, I'd never seen one before. There's not a ton of them out there. I went to the website, of course, to check them out. And like, I love their, I, I, oh, hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to pull this up because I want to get this right. Like you go on the website and look at the Colossus and they talk about all of the people who play one. Let me see if I can find it. They're out of the UK, um, you know, where they really care about synth. Um I can't find where is the artist list. The artist list was wild. Yeah, I like, think there's one installed in a few studios, so that artist list turns into everyone who's right, like played in that studio. But at the same time, it's still incredible. Yeah, it's it's um it's it's oh Dan Green from Coldplay, Hans Zimmer, 
uh, Johnny Marr, Pete Townsend, Martin Gore. Um, let's see, uh, Dead Mouse. No, oh, Max Richter, Pete Townsend. I think like wasn't Jimmy Page on this list? I may have made that up in my head, but like there's there's just a colossal list, a colossal list. Oh, look at that. Trent Reznor is on this list. I had never even heard of this thing before we saw it, and it completely blew my mind. Um, so it's it's just another indicative thing of because if you just look at rock and roll vintage music from the outside looking in, you don't get the idea of what's in there. Unless it kind of took it took us a few minutes to realize how good of a store it was. Yeah. Like we walked it, in, we're like, oh, this is full of junk. Is this like some weird dude's hobby place? Yep. Where like it just turns into that graveyard. But we slowly started unbundling and go, oh, oh, oh. Got a lot of that and, vibe. And Got I a... bet you they buy stuff broken and they fix it. And that's just yes. some of the stuff on the floor that looks broken is the yet to be fixed pile. Yeah, they had it's a just they had a place in the back that looked like it was a shop where they work on things. Once you get past yeah. the synth room. Um, so that leads me to like the ultimate question, like what makes a great music store? So I asked some people on an Instagram live recently, what makes a music store great? Um, for me, I want to go to a place, um, where I'm going to see some things that are out of the ordinary, like actually find some cool stuff. I don't want to go into a store and see the same strats and the same telecasters and the same Les Pauls. I could have gone to any other music store in America and seen. I also want to go somewhere that I want to hang out. Whether that is because the vibe is good or the staff are just fun to talk to and they're really gregarious and personable. I want some place that I I want to be able to hang out, not feel pressured to buy anything ever. Because if I'm not pressured to buy things, I'm probably more likely to buy things. That's me, though. That's just who I am. I'm going to find something I want to buy. Uh that's so that's what makes a great music store to me is I don't need your staff to know everything about everything. I don't need you to be able to answer my million and one questions because I can probably look it up on my own and find out some information. No, please know what you're selling, but I just want to be able to talk to people about stuff. I mean, uh, you didn't see that side of Chicago Music Exchange, did you? No, because to me, it was very much a. You walk in, look around, you only got to a, and don't get me wrong, the guy helping you with the Martin, who's super nice, uh, he was really helpful, he's really funny to talk to, but it was very much a, everyone was busy with actual sales. There yeah, because we, like, were, we were there on Saturday afternoon, too. Yeah, that's probably part of it, too. If you go on a Tuesday, uh-huh. it's great. Huh. <laughs> it's absolutely great. Um, their staff is some of the best trained you'll ever see, um, you know. Back in the day, their YouTube channel was a lot more education focused. Yeah. And that was all their floor staff, like Shelby and Alex and those guys were all on the, and Joel were all on the floor. Yeah. You interacted with them. But if you want to know about Jazz Masters, you, they went, go talk to Shelby. Yes. This one has this one. This one has this one. This one has this one. This has this problem. This was, you know, like he, they, those are gear nuts who right. work there. And they're educated on everything. And so when I sat there, like when we were talking with Ross about like, do I want to do a D18? Do I want to hold out for 28? And he's like, well, the bracing pattern's different here, here, and here. This is why this one's a nicer one than this one. And, you know, 
when he had the time. Yeah. Unfortunately, he of everybody was juggling a lot of questioning people. They were. They were absolutely. Um, I besides besides the guy helping you, whose name you just mm-hmm. said, and I just forgot it already again. Um, the uh, besides him, I interacted with no salesperson the entire time we were there. That's too bad. Yeah, that's and it, it's not my first time there. I have interacted with the salespeople there, and they've never been unfriendly. They've never been, but to me, I'm more comfortable in that more laid back, a little a little grittier vibe. If that mm. makes sense. Now, Rock and Roll Vintage is on like the edge of almost too gritty. Maybe that's why I love it so much. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's almost like Carter Vintage in Nashville. I'm always going to go back to Carter Vintage because Carter Vintage, although. I don't know. You know, they've changed ownership. I don't know what it's really like there anymore. Um, but it was, there's just stuff everywhere. It's not gritty, but it's also not like this pristine show place. It's a, you can still have to find things a little bit and find the cool stuff and search for the cool stuff. That's, it's like going to a record store. Yes. Like when you go to a record store, there's not, other than it being alphabetical, there's not really organization there. And what when you do when you go to record stores, you sit there and you just flip through every single stack there and you go, oh, cool. And then you put it back or you pull it out like that's yeah. that's the record store experience usually for most of us. Like you can't go into a lot of record stores expecting to find something. Nope. You can have an idea of the thing you might be looking for, but you better go in with a few different things you're possibly looking for yeah. because you never know what you're going to find. But also, if you're looking for a specific record, half the time, just go on Amazon and find it. That's it. That's it. But it, it's about the hunt. It's things. about the chase. And Chicago Music Exchange is a little bit of finding that line. Um, I think for a lot of us these days, uh, we like our Sweetwater reps better than we like our Guitar Center employees. So yes. when it comes time to like say, hey, I'm thinking about buying the new Ventura Strat, I call my Sweetwater rep. Yep. I, I talk to Forrest at Sweetwater fairly often. I love my rep. Forrest is great. He's been my same yep. rep for... A long time now. So let's talk about that for a second. Did you watch Phil McKnight's video of taking the Sweetwater test while they were at Sweetwater for Gear Fest? No, I haven't seen that one. I don't so, follow Phil McKnight too much. Well, I don't either, but uh, Steve Rowell from 60 Cycle Hum took the test at the same time. And so yeah. they did a video. And so they talked about, they, they talked HR into letting them take the test that people take to become Sweetwater sales reps. And it was exhaustive, and uh, they say a, a 40 to 50% correct rating on that test is good for them. Like, that's they'll, they're looking to hire you at that point. Because, the, well, they don't... It's Purdue the engineering is, tests right there. Well, it's not just guitar. There's guitar, <laughs> there's keys and synth, there's lighting, there's live mm-hmm. sound, there's DJ equipment, there's lots of stuff besides guitar. Um, oh, yeah. Apparently, Steve smoked Phil McKnight on the test, too. Just absolutely smoked him on it. That's surprising, yeah. just considering that yeah. uh, Phil used to own a guitar store. Yeah, slightly slight spoiler alert. I think Phil scored something like a forty four percent overall. Steve scored over sixty percent, like almost seventy percent, something like that overall. Wow. Yeah, no, Steve, even Steve even smoked him in guitar. Like is is a wild wild time. But Steve is low key, like no really he's, he's, into all that stuff steve is over in our discord and and when he's you know has the time to pay attention he's a lot of fun to talk to he's also one of the few people i can talk sports with over there so um but the thing that i found interesting was actually reading through some of the comments on that video 
And, and so a lot of people were commenting because you get through that test. That's only the first test. There's multiple more tests. And then there's a 13 week training that you go through to be a sales rep at Sweetwater. And the now, continuous training too. Yeah. And and so one of the people asked, well, they better be, you know, they better pay pretty good. And so somebody commented and said, you know, former Sweetwater sales rep. He said, Yeah, if you're if you get in that position, you can easily make six figures as a sales rep for Sweetwater. Mm-hmm. He said, You can easily you can easily hit that number. And I was like, Holy crap. Well, no wonder they're good at it. They're one, they're knowledgeable and they're paid well. It's amazing when people well do a better and, yeah. job when they're paid well. It sounds like something we were talking about in our pre-up. It, it does sound an awful lot like something we were talking about in our pre-up. Um, and so that's the other thing is I like going to a store where the staff just seem like they like being there. And if you're they're paid well and they're given the training and they're the, you know they're going to stay if they're the right people for the job they they're more likely to enjoy being there and doing what they do it, you're going to have a better experience with that in general well and sometimes it takes a little bit to kind of break in to those yeah. groups too though like rock and roll vintage for us we were left alone not talked to yeah. until pretty much I was about I I was going to buy a guitar strap there um mm-hmm. cuz they had a better guitar strap collection of some weird stuff and I found a leather one I really liked um, and I'm walking up to the guy. And so he's like, so what are you guys from? Like, like he, he could tell we knew gear based on the way we were talking, but he's like, how do, how do I know you guys? Um, and we were like, oh yeah, well I did this podcast. He does this podcast. And he's like, oh, okay. okay, okay. You want to see something cool? Like at that point we were finally like, right. we were in once yeah. he kind of realized what we were, who we were, we weren't just some kids off the street, just kind of kicking tires. Um, even though we were some kids off the street kicking tires. While that's we exactly, that's exactly what we were. Um, well, I think that's, that's the thing too. You gotta, it's, you learn the store, like my hometown store, Marshall, who we talked about previously mm-hmm. in at the pre-app, I guess when we we're talking about the black crows and going to see black crows, his dad owned the music store in my hometown, still owns the music store. And it's very much a used, you never know what's going to be in there kind of place. It was like a tiny, tiny, tiny version of rock and roll vintage. Like the synth room is almost the size of the whole store for him, right? Hmm. Actually, both of the synth rooms, the 500 rack room and the synth room is about the size of the store in my hometown. But like if you hang out there long enough that it gets to after closing time, he doesn't actually close. He just breaks out the beer at that point. And you know what I mean? And he'll just offer you one and hang out and talk music and just hang out, drink a beer and have a good time. And that's, that's the environment I tend to appreciate in music stores, even when I'm not looking to buy anything. I want mm-hmm. a place where I can just sit and talk music and gear and just geek out and be a nerd. Um, and I know that's not everyone's experience. A lot of people want the shop where they know what's going to be there. They're going to go there. They're going to get that thing. They're going to check out. They're going to leave. They they want that that experience. I want that communal atmosphere of hanging out, talking about music. I've met a lot of the people that I've played in bands with over the years, just by hanging out at the music store. You know, um, we were talking about it earlier when I was kind of saying like, this is a different class of people, you know, kind of discussion. It made me think about, and you were saying you're uncomfortable and all that stuff. And so I don't want to make this a dig at you, but there is a thing in there of like restaurants are like that too. Yeah. I have friends that I have, I've gone to restaurants that I'm uncomfortable at, at that, at that level. Um, 
and I've had like the training on what work to use and all that kind of stuff as part of like the executive stuff. Yep. Um, and even still I'm uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. and then there's a tier that I'm comfortable at and I have friends that ugh, they, they can't stand it. You know, and there's people who just want to go to McDonald's and yep. they love McDonald's and they look forward to it. I dread going to McDonald's I for anything McDonald's. other than an egg McMuffin. I don't even go for that. I, I can count on two hands the number of times in the last 20 years I've been to McDonald's that I wasn't mm-hmm. either drunk or hungover. Yeah. That's just the way it is. And so there are those things of like your comfort level with where you're at and those kind of things. That there are different restaurant tiers and restaurant experiences. Because um, some people love going to that hole-in-the-wall restaurant where the owner comes out and talks to you and you feel like that everything was special made for you and there's that kind of thing. Um other people are like, I feel disgusting now that I know, like, you, like that that can be viewed as something that's dirty, right? You know, and so depends on what you're looking for, um, and that shopping experience is the same thing. Yeah, Some absolutely. people would, um, you know, we have a lot of the flagship fashion stores here. Um, some of them I will never step foot in. Uh, I remember going through a Ralph Lauren one and I don't, I don't really buy Ralph Lauren stuff, but I remember going through there. I was like, I'm kind of uncomfortable in the shopping experience. Makes sense. Cause I'd this. rather go to, I'm, I'm used to going to a more traditional, like a simple retail store. A Kohl's so the, or a <laughs> I'm uncomfortable in Kohl's. Really? Yeah. It's the other end for me. That that's, that's when I'm under my end. It's like, uh, I can't go to Walmart's. I can go to Walmart. I don't mind. It doesn't bother me. But I also don't feel un- I don't feel uncomfortable in a higher end store either. Um, it's just I think that's just a me thing. It's just a who I am. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. I'm not necessarily uncomfortable in like a even CME doesn't really like CME to me. It's high end, but it's not like unapproachable high end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not unobtainium high end to me. It's not like walking into I'll t- the one. I didn't feel it then. I wonder if I'd feel it now. The when I was I was in Los Angeles back in 2004 and went to the Guitar Center on the Strip in uh in LA. And they had this like incredible vintage room. And now this is this is right at the beginning of the vintage explosion, let's be honest. Like 04 um the the vintage Strat and Les Paul thing had not quite done what they are now. They were on the verge of that skyrocket. I may be, I may be slightly off, but it's around that time. Um, the 90s, you know, vintage wasn't that huge a deal. Everybody was buying vintage gear in the 90s uh, because they all wanted to be. That's, that was the explosion of that sound. Um, and then in 2000s, it became unobtainable. They had this incredible room full of unobtainium. I didn't feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable then. I wonder how I'd feel now because I'd be walking into a room full of, you know, five figure, in some cases, six figure guitars and instruments. Uh, that's when I start to sort of feel uncomfortable. When I was at Chicago, uh, when I was at Carter Vintage back when we were at NAM last year, um, they let me play, take into an amp room by myself and play a 1960 Les Paul and crank it up. And I think they had $325,000 on that Les Paul. Like two weeks previously, Marcus King had recorded a video playing that guitar. You know what I mean? Yeah. And CME has theirs in a glass, like podium kind of thing. Yeah. 
So you can drool over their 60 less ball, but you can't touch it. You can't touch it. Whereas I just I just asked the guy at Card Advantage, hey, can I play that? He was like, uh, yeah. I had talked to him for long enough. Obviously, mm-hmm. you could tell he doesn't just let anybody. But also I'd sat and talked to him and he sort of knew I knew my stuff a little bit. And so he was like, yeah, here, you know, be careful. I'm sure he says that to almost everybody because I if if it broke, I could not afford to to deal with it. Like, I don't have that kind of money. Have you ever it been to Grunes? Uh, Grumbles? Yeah. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. Have you been in the back room of no, Grunes? No. I have heard about it. I know people who go back there. Never been back there. I've only been to, I've only been to Grunes once. And it was just kind yeah. of a passing through, look through, and then left. And then I discovered Carter Vintage and Fannies and now Caldwell Guitars in Nashville. And that's where I go. Can we talk about Fannies for a minute? Yes. I think that that's worth adding to this discussion of what that was like. I mean, you and I being there was a weird time. It was. It was a really weird time with because the Ryan COVID. decided to shoot a video in the middle of it, and then you and I went and just hung out in like the yeah acoustic room, and but it was full I, of weird stuff that was affordable. Exactly. And I've been back since then, and I've actually bought a guitar from them since then online. But because I knew the store, I trusted the store. Um, well, you, you even knew the employee. I mean, yeah. we had the we have the added benefit at Fanny's that I went to high school with their manager. Exactly. So That's we exactly have that right. we have that connection with Ellen, but yep. um, uh, who is fantastic and honestly, it's great. Like I, I've enjoyed having like that. That was me reconnecting with Ellen for the first time since really high school. And yeah. Uh, In fact, like, while uh, we're while we're talking, I'm going to pull up. I want to. Um, See if I have the name of the person I, I did actually interact the most with when I was buying this guitar. I want to. Uh, oh, because Callan. Okay. Callan was the person I interacted with. Callan did an incredible job of working me through buying that guitar online. So through Instagram. Yeah. So Fanny's is an interesting shop because one, it's fairly small. It's small. Half of, half of it is a vintage clothing store. Yep. Which was not for me. <laughs> me either they were it's funny and sizes. interesting but it is yeah they're not me sizes either but it was still interesting and it's very much so that's a thing that can only exist in nashville yes um but it's something that leans into what nashville is in a lot of ways so it was super rad so the last time i was at fanny's uh when did i go to nashville we went to nashville in june may anyway uh so went over to fanny's and uh, it's such an interesting store because they've got like the obvious like homebrew hack job, try to turn a guitar into a Gibson kind of thing, like or like the weird, like never heard of the brand Asian made version of a a, a lot of Japanese guitars from the yeah. 60s. But then they also had like an OG original Gibson New York, or, I mean, Epiphone New Yorker jazz box. They had an OG, uh, Ampeg B15 flip top original. They've, it's such a weird like mix of like legit serious player vintage gear and like oddball holy hell what is that? Yeah, I think I think they cater that particularly caters a lot to I'm going to buy this and have this in my studio. I'm never going to tour with it kind yes. of gear. Um, Very much. And honestly, rock and roll vintage has a good bit of that kind of stuff too. Yep. Um, I mean, you and I both almost walked out the door with that Skylark. 
Um, yeah. Oh, I wasn't even going to talk about it. I was going to hope it's still there. I wasn't even going to mention it. It's gone. Is it gone? It's gone. Yeah. Ah, dang it. If it's not gone, I need to sell some pedals and I'm going to go. Yeah, get it. you need to go get it if it's not. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah. And at the same time, I think that that Skylark is probably broken. I, we don't know. We didn't plug it in. We didn't have time. That's the thing. I didn't want to plug anything in because I kind of felt like I was about to blow up in my face. It was like buying a droid from Jawas in a little bit of a way. <laughs> See, I wanted to plug everything in. I wanted I wanted to plug in one of those JCM 800 full stacks so bad. Oh, yeah. I really wanted to. I haven't played oh, did, a JCM 800 in so long. Did so. they have an E-spec dual rec, too? Like... Yeah, the dual rack. Yep, the dual yeah. rack that everybody wanted. I remember that one. It was right between the B15s and like two Leslies. <laughs> it was like, yeah, and like I'd never seen an orange Marshall before, yeah, even in no. books or anything. So like, there's and, just and cool tell stuff. you what the wild thing about the the wild thing about them is they did have some new stuff. Like they had some electric, uh, not uh, they had some retroactive sound uh pedals on the wall mm-hmm. they had some jhs stuff they they did have some stuff in that weird case that was over by the amps on the other side of the like pile o pedal case that i'm there there was a number of times where we found our way into a room where i was like should we be in here right and <laughs> and then we're like oh dope check this out um so it's why it's my favorite kind of store and so I think that's the beauty of it. it. Everyone has their own different version of what their favorite store looks like. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's it. I could care less. It's, it's why, for the most part, I don't care as much um, about brand new things coming out. Because I don't care that much about new stuff coming out. There's so much great stuff that's already existed that I don't know all of it yet. I haven't discovered all of the great old stuff out there. See, this is where I disagree with you, Philip. That I think everyone needs to know about all the new stuff that comes out every single week. Well, and if you they need want to, to do that, they need can to listen, listen to the, to the effects, effects loop. Every loop. Week. Yeah, they can go listen to the effects <laughs> loop and hear about all the new gear that's coming out or has come out, and that's awesome. But yeah. for me, I'm so like the the shop in Clarksdale that's very much like the tiny version of Rock and Roll Vintage. That's where I bought a 1971 Marshall Super Bass. That's where I bought a 1970 Super Reverb. That's where my first tube amp was a 1968 Fender Bandmaster Reverb. You know what I mean? Because I mm-hmm. found it in that shop. Um, and, and so that's the cool things I like to discover. Uh, I've played some of the raddest guitars out of that shop. A 60s Gretsch Tennessean. I've played a, a 1970-something Marshall JMP. You know, I've played like the coolest gear in that shop mm-hmm. because I never know what's going to be there. And that's what yeah. I want. Yeah. We have another store in the city here. Uh, uh, it's like suburbs. It's like mm-hmm. Highland park. So it's a bit of a drive. We didn't go there mm-hmm. called uh, Midwest buy, sell trade. Oh, I've heard about that one though. I want to go next time I'm in Chicago. I'm going to have to make a trip sooner rather than later uh, back up to Chicago. Uh, if, if Kelly doesn't want to go next time, I'll fly instead of drive though. Cause, um, then we'll just hop in my car and go around. It works. Exactly. It works. Well, awesome. Well, listeners, I appreciate you hanging out hearing us rant about music stores. And, and, uh, so I tell you what, go over to Instagram, go over to, um, Facebook. There is a Facebook group for the 40 watt podcast. Go over there. What's your favorite music store? Tell me, I want to hear about it. Why do you like that music store better than another one? 
Um, obviously, I've not been to even 1% of all of the music stores in the U.S. There's got to be some pretty freaking rad ones out there that I haven't discovered. Tell me about it and then shoot me the link so I can snipe all of the great deals out of there from you. But uh, <laughs> in the meantime, Scott, thanks for coming on. How can people find you? Uh, TheEffectsLoop.com. That is everything you need to know uh, about me because that's the only place. Um, I, I mean, I don't update that website, but that's a way to find things I actually <laughs> update and put out. Yeah. Uh, don't follow me on Facebook or Instagram. I never post. <laughs> oh, well, that's terrible. You got to get on Instagram. You got to ride that dying medium, social media out the out the door. Um, not to reveal too much, but everyone keep supporting Facebook. Um, it's 30% of my business. well i kind of hate facebook i'm just gonna be honest i just don't like it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say anything more than that but yeah uh, no that's fine we get it it. (laughs) i don't think you have any worries about people not using facebook at this point though let's be honest Mm -hmm. yeah well we will talk off air uh see what this metaverse thing turns out to be yeah it's a great delay pedal. I really like everything I'm hearing from it. Shout yeah. out Brian Wampler. Um, so uh, anyway, listeners, thanks for hanging out. Go check out the effects loop uh, episodes every week, talking about gear and all sorts of fun things. Philip uh, is on like every sixth episode. So yeah, I mean, feel, that's what we're working on at some point, you know, you'll hear me over there um, ranting about something. I'll get hot and bothered. about something and need to complain. Um, yeah. And we want, oh, I might need to be on this week, talk about PRS pedals. But anyway, neither here nor there. Um, We'll see you Sunday. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see you Sunday. Uh, In the meantime, listeners, thanks for hanging out. Go over to patreon.com slash 40 watt podcast. You can support the podcast. Go over to Facebook. You can uh, generate some conversations because I'm really bad at generating conversation over in the Facebook group. So please do that. Find over on Instagram uh, and tell me how I'm wrong and how the best music store is XYZ Music. And until I see you next time, uh, remember to be good to yourselves, be kind to each other, and make some noise. This episode is brought to you by the supporters of 40 Watt Podcast over on Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash 40 Watt Podcast, where for as little as $3 per month, you can help support the podcast and get every episode ad-free. For $5 a month, you'll get every episode ad-free, as well as a bonus episode every week. I can't overstate how thankful I am for the support of my patrons, and hope you'll consider joining the team and helping keep this show on the road.